millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm not going to do this whole Truman Show gamble. It's not actually supposed to be based on the Truman Show. It's just, it's awkward, you know? This is the age of digital media. We, we don't broadcast at a set time. Um, shit. Welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. I am your host, Jack. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to say Jack. Actor trunk. Um, <laughs> I'm joined as ever by Mr. Raj Baines. How are you doing, Raj Baines? I'm all right. I much prefer not having to host it, although your introduction does prove that perhaps I am the, the steadier pair of hands of the two of us. Oh, I don't know about that, mate. It's it's like, it's, I, I don't know what it is. It's just something that I do, isn't it? You know, it's just kind of faux, well, it's like quasi-faux neurotic. It's like, let everyone think this whole, like, neurotic scattergun approach is something that's, like, pre-planned, and this is kind of his gambit. This is what he goes with. When little do they know, I'm actually just a bumbling mess of me. <laughs> Poundland um, Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I do like your Poundland thing. It is good. As you can hear, chuckling in the background there as well is Mr. Sebastian Stafford-Bloor. How are you doing? How are you doing, Seb? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I, I enjoy the kind of the controlled meltdown that we, we have now traditionally. Right. It's sort of, you know, you get on and you, you don't even wait to introduce us. You just go straight into a kind of... Postmodern <laughs> breakdown. It's good. Do you like it when they when they occur in in WhatsApp messages before I even like say good morning, Seb? How are you doing today, mate? When it will just be like blah blah blah, blah something about work. Well, I hate well, this person on Twitter. I, I still do. <laughs> I, well, this morning I woke up to one of those, and I thought, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting up early. It was it's probably about <laughs> seven thirty, and I I got to my desk and put on my phone and and um. And you were you were you were mid flow. You had some unhappiness going on in your world that we had to we had to resolve. Yeah, just have to you know you just have to vent a little bit here and there. You know what are friends for than to <laughs> exactly share your exactly. chagrin. You know, it's, yeah. It's what happens. Um, yeah, but we are we're all very good this week, are we? Then lads, 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 lads. That's what I like to hear. Um, what the hell are we going to talk about? Southampton. That's what we're going to talk about. Wasn't Ben Davis shit at the weekend? Yeah, Ben Davis, eh? <laughs> Fuck you, Raj. Why did you want us to sign Ben Davis? It's all your fault, mate. I really like him. I feel a bit sorry for him. Um, he's, he's, I feel a bit sorry for him. I think it's just... He's not really had a consistent basis of which to, to try and build himself into the team. So when he's parachuted in when Danny Rose isn't fit, he's sort of been part of a defence that isn't really functioning well 
to start with. So it's not really giving him yeah. the, the best possible footing to sort of find his own feet in. And then when he has had games from the start, otherwise it's in the Europa League or something where it's even more makeshift than it is in the league. So he's he's part of either a shit first-choice defence where he's obviously a second-choice part of it or he's part of a second-choice defence which isn't really a defence at all. So there is that... that that part of it, which isn't at all helpful for his progression, he, he has been given a sort of a raw deal because this this Danny Rose renaissance is not something that anybody expected to see. Um, not that he's, you know, as I said in, in an article or up previously, not that he's become Paolo Maldini or anything, but he's a much better version of Danny Rose than anybody had ever expected him to be, um, which he does deserve his praise for. But, uh, you know, it, it, I think or at least I hope Ben Davies is probably the more solid and more competent player of the two, um, should they be given an equal opportunity, which presently they they aren't, which is why I believe is is directly contributing to Davies' poorer performances, because when he plays in second-choice teams, when he's got a, a less able midfield in front of him, or when he's got you know a winger on his side that isn't going to trap back or help him, it often... The knock-on effect to that is that he's isolated and his one-on-one defending, given that he's not played very much, is, is obviously below par and his his performances are extremely unflattering, to say the least. And even when he plays in the first team, those, those same sort of things occur. I don't think it's it's really his fault. He can't come into a team straight away and, and suddenly be the best left-back on earth. He's, he's got to have a bit of a run-up to it. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Because uh, for the for Southampton's first goal, there was quite a lot of discussion as to whose fault was it. Because there was there was a series of like calamitous errors that led up to that, and it seemed to be that people were either going, you know, Team Davies or Team Mason sort of thing. But they seemed both pretty culpable for for that first Southampton goal, and overall the defending was just pretty terrible across the board. So I, I, I know what you're saying in the respect that to, to to kind of use Davies as the full scapegoat for what is a pretty shoddy defence is is very harsh. Um, do you not think, though, at the same time, there is kind of... Because one argument that I have seen made is that, although it is obviously right to give Davies time and give him the benefit of the doubt, as we afford to the likes of Lamella, at least on this show anyway, we afford to the likes of Lamella, um, to Chad Lee, to Christian Eriksen when they've had their critics, uh, that... Eric Dyer has kind of come from a similar position. He's come from another country. He's still young. He's been played at different points and interjected at different times and seems to be making a much stronger case for his ability and inclusion within the team than Davies has thus far, which actually seems quite surprising as Davies has Premier League calibre as well. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, think, I, th- I still think that um, I still think that, that Eric Dyer is a centre-back. I just think he, he's a centre-back who has attributes which can be shifted into making him a um, a passable fullback. I, I don't know if... Um, I, I think part of the problem at the weekend was that the defensive unit we put out just wasn't very familiar. I mean, you, you, if you... The goal is... I mean, you, you can't excuse the goal and you, you can't just say that that's a collective failure because it's clearly an error by Mason, an error by... by um, and then an error by Davis, who, who by the way, in his defence, he I know he's got a lot of criticism for how he shielded the ball and People saying, oh, you know, he's got to be decisive there. But if you're playing in front of a goalkeeper like Hugo Lloris, who, does, who is um, traditionally very quick off his line and who will always... Um, of all the goalkeepers in the Premier League, he's probably the quickest off his line. 
you're not entitled to think that he's going to come and claim that ball, but you could expect him to be fairly close to it. So I can, yeah. you can kind of understand what Davis was doing there. Um, and also, interesting that I, one, something I've noticed in our fan base is that when an academy raised player makes an error, people excuse it. When it's another player, they go they go in two footed on him. So when Ryan, look, I, I'm full of sympathy for Ryan Mason because he's obviously been instructed to to play the ball out of defence, you know, in a, in a non sort of put his foot through it way, um, and he's just lost his footing, which plenty of players did in that game. Can you imagine the reaction if Polinio had done mm. that, or Lamella, or Dembele? You know, there, there would be no excuse. It would be completely on them, and then you know you'd be talking about. Um, Davis being put into an impossible situation, but I um I like Dyer. I just think that you know people have um people have got to be a little bit more accepting of, of the fact that he um I mean he showed the weekend you know, two lovely balls for the goals, um and he's had great moments in the season. He was very good in at, at Wembley for the League Cup final. Um he's had a little bit of a drop off in the last few weeks, but he's um I think we've all seen enough of him to 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 think this is someone you want to be in and around the team for for the next couple of years. Yeah, his his cross for Lamella's well, that's a lovely ball, ball. But it was yeah, it was, yeah. It was delicious. I would say. I like. It. I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to creep that word in. It sounds. It rolls off the tongue. I like it. It's a nice, yeah, nice, it's nice, nice ring to that. Expand our vocabulary. That was lovely. <laughs> yeah. A succulent cross. <laughs> a deliciously succulent no, cross. Too, Is it going a bit M and S advert now? A little bit, yeah. Uh, okay. It would sound more like it if Seb said it. Yeah, it would. If I got an MS accent. Yeah. All you, all you need then is like a sort of a slow motion knife cutting through a chocolate pudding or something like that. <laughs> oh, I like I like the way you say pudding. Chocolate. Actually, Seb, that sounds very nice. <laughs> it instantly made me hungry. Although I am a man that is seldom not hungry, so you know, I don't know how much you count that as an achievement. Um, what did we think about the result? I mean, it seems to be. Oddly enough, and I know Spurs fans and football fans, people in general are pretty shit. <laughs> they uh, they get pretty angry pretty easily, and a lot of people are quite entitled. But it, it, it seems like people were particularly angry about drawing away at Southampton, and I, I, it's, it's it's quite puzzling that because they're not they're not really a pushover team anymore, are they? I mean, I underst- I do understand this whole argument, and it's it's kind of a no shit Sherlock type argument that if you want to be finishing in the top four you need to go away to teams like Southampton and beat them yeah okay you can't argue with that logic but at the same time I think you then need to reassess what it is that you think Spurs are aiming for this season and where you think we can actually finish because to me I mean I'll, I'll, I'll happily chuck it out there and say I'm I'm pretty happy with this season Given the the calamity that was last year, um, and just the kind of the overall, you know, disenfranchised feeling I had for the club and how unhappy so many of the players seem to be, I think the introduction of these youth players um, and just the overall kind of spirit around the club, the fact that Pochettino has managed to establish who he doesn't want in the side anymore, quite clearly, so we actually have an idea of who is going to be sold and what we're going to be looking to kind of buy this summer and where we need to strengthen. I think overall it's been a success. And if we get into Europe, again, uh, probably a controversial standpoint, but all the better for me as well. So I don't know. How do, how do you guys feel about this? Were you happy with the result, really? 
I was uh, I, I chatted to um, Alex Stewart, who we had on the show last week after the game, and um, he was he was disappointed that Southampton hadn't won because he full well expected them to. And to be honest, given what we'd said previously as well, it was it was one of those games where we thought, given that they are still playing for something and we don't look like we are. It seemed as if the the momentum was with them to to take the result and the fact that we didn't allow them to, given that we, we appear to have signed off for the season, was a positive for me. I was quite happy with the draw because there aren't many teams who have, have gone to Southampton this season and won, especially when they've they've actually managed to, to find the back of the net and when Pella's been scoring because he, he's been... He's been quite poor of late and, and looked quite tired. So to to have overcome that is is um is not really a, a, a huge concern for me to be honest. It's um it was it was quite a, a surprise to have drawn rather than lost because once they'd gone two one ahead, I expected them to with their defensive record to to be able to hold that out. Um, but the fact that we 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 sort of raised ourselves and, and managed to to draw that game, and the fact that the Southampton fans were so hostile in in obviously wanting to beat us for a variety of reasons, including the fact that they were strangely negative towards Pochettino, um, was was all the more positive for me. I was very happy with with the fact that we managed to upset them. I like upsetting people. I also think that 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 game was kind of a statement on our season as a whole because. Firstly, that was, that, I think it was um, a Southampton team that um, hadn't conceded a goal at home in their last either three or four games, the last three or four home games. Um, and also, it represented like what, what's been a, a real theme this year, and that we've been in losing positions so many times and still found a way, you know, through a variety of different circumstances, uh, through a variety of different means, to, to, to take points from those those positions. Um, and as as a as a fan who associates you know weak willed play and and just you know general softness with our side it's been really nice to see a change in that um you know i, I know sometimes we've won games without ever having played particularly well i mean that that stretch before christmas with villa and hull and, and swansea where you know, we didn't really deserve to win but we still found a way to take something from us though that, that's such a, a an untraditional tottenham quality that if you if you look at that, and if you think that's your takeaway thing from this season, if you're one of those people that tries really hard to ignore the League Cup and you know, beating Arsenal and smashing Chelsea, then surely you have to look at that and go, well, that's a positive. That's something that can be that's something that can be um, built upon next year. Of course, it's a success. Awesome. Uh, at this juncture, um, because they're obviously so nice they're so reticent. <laughs> You know, that's it. It's summed up perfectly, so I'm not going to build on. I'm not going to build on that immaculate palace with my. That'd be like me being a a, a, a pigeon flying over the top of an immaculate, an immaculate glass building that you've just built and doing a big dump on top of it. So I'm just not going to do it, man. I'm going to leave you there to admire your shard and just stand next to you cooing. Nice one. That's it. Maybe steal a chip off of you if you've got some or something. I don't know why the, I'm likening myself to a pigeon or where this pigeon metaphor has even come from. It's probably some kind of deep-rooted insecurity or, I don't know, something else. Freudian? Can you say Freudian or is that only if it's sexual? I don't know. What the fuck am I talking about? I don't know. Mike Tyson has a thing for uh, pigeons, doesn't he? Pigeons are the only yeah. thing that he can communicate to on a level. Um, and Dimitar Berbatov. Oh, no, it's squirrels, isn't it? Squirrels that Dimitar Berbatov has a thing for. I've never heard the thing about Berbatov. Have but, you not? Um, that's, what, that's what Martin Yole used to say. He used to say he's a very special boy. 
He's a very quiet and a very special boy. He uh, he doesn't go out on the weekends with the rest of the lads. He feeds the squirrels in his garden. And this is an actual... I'm going to try yeah, to find something about this. Is that a metaphor? I, I don't know. It could be. No, I think it was literal. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say, though, at this point is... Uh, because it's kind of been touched on and it's relevant to this. Um, Raj, this week, has written a, a very decent piece about Danny Rose. Um... So you yes, should read that. that. Check, check through the uh, the feed because you know we spoke about Ben Davies and we spoke about Danny Rose's effect on the team. So yeah, read Raj's piece on uh, on Danny Rose. You find it's on. It's, it's a U Max. It one that isn't it, Raj? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think I got tweeted out of the um, the pod account. Yeah, so it should be yeah, on it should be on that so, at some point. Yeah. So that's just to add a bit more context to this discussion, and also because we haven't really touched on him, but he he had a pretty decent game. Seb's also written a very good piece on Mr. Eric Lamella today. As well, which is a uh, which is another Umax piece. I'm I'm not plugging Umax it here, by the way. Give me a job. No, don't give me a job. Don't want anything to do with your weird gambling tools of the devil. Um, <laughs> but yeah, read it. It's a very good piece on Eric Lamella. Um, and it's very. Uh, it'll. I don't know. Just see what you think of it. Have a read. Have a read. Yeah, the only thing I, I'll say about it is that every time in the past I've written about Lamella, I've been brutally attacked by the kind of the more emotionally intolerant um, UKIP parts of our fan base. Coming over um, here, handballing so. our goals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and today, I haven't heard from any of them. So that's, um, you know, that I've muted quite a few of them. Uh, probably, you know, speaks volumes about that. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of cross... Okay, so it's done all right. Yeah. We're going to speak to old friends of the show now because uh, we have got Manchester City this weekend. And we've got the typical City lads in, Mr. Rob Pollard and Alex Timberley. <laughs> right, so as previously billed, it was going to be Rob Pollard and Mr. Alex Timberley, but we've only got Mr. Alex Timberley. Rob Pollard has pulled out last minute, so to speak. So, hello. You know oh, yeah. just texted me, said he can join in. Oh, oh dear. Oh, God. Just for a bit. Do you want Hang to start on. again? Can we Let's, add him in? We can, we can probably get him in live. Oh, we live this will be dramatic. No, no pressure, Jack, but Raj managed it. Jesus. Close. All right, yeah. let's see if he's online. Let's see. Is he? Where is he? Rob Pollard. Uh-oh. Here he comes. Jack said added Rob Pollard to this conversation. Right. Let's see if this is so smooth, man. Mate, this is this is insane. Alex, all right. Whilst we're, whilst we're waiting for Rob's, Rob's arrival, I was going to say, you know, it's... Uh, did you ever think you'd see the day as a Man City fan that finishing fourth in the league could be considered actually a failure? Because it make, as a Spurs fan, it makes me quite uncomfortable when I see Spurs fans complaining about even getting into Europe, about the Europa League. Because I remember years when I would be like gagging for us to finish in Europe, you know, in the European places, wondering wasn't it? Wasn't it so like the the eternal question was always: Is seventh place good enough? Europe, no, I remember it being. I, I remember it being. You know, we if if we play well and you know we get a little bit of out of that player and that player, we might finish in the top half this year. Exactly. That's that's ninety Spurs. And that yeah. was, uh I mean, I, I, but the thing is, I I don't think you can hold it against people because you, you're you're a, a prisoner to your generation and what you know. So, um, uh, personally, this is this is one of my particular irritations. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in the nineties when City were one of the worst teams in the whole country um, for quite long periods. And I get that 
complaining about finishing fourth or whatever, or even third, is sounds quite spoilt because a lot of City fans do this thing where they say, oh, you know, we lost against York and we did that Division 2 playoff. But I just don't, I don't see that you can compare current City to old City. It's, it's a nonsense comparison. Like, the context is entirely different. If we were, you know, in Division 2 with Aguero or we were finishing fourth with Kevin Horlock and Paul Dickov, then yeah, fair enough. But it's, I, I think it's fair to be disappointed to finish fourth or fifth. Oh, the money's ruined you, hasn't it? It's absolutely <laughs> ruined you. Oh, it's, it's, all about, it's all about the context. Oh, mate, prawn sandwich all the way now. <laughs> so, I mean, okay, what, I mean, I assume you were expecting to be at least challenging for the league, retaining the league title. Um, where where do you think it's gone so drastically wrong? Because I, I do understand what you're saying. I'm only kind of baiting you. Um that you, you, you probably should be finishing higher than you are at the moment. And I, I think that on paper, at least, you're a, you're a much tidier outfit than everyone else in the league aside for Chelsea. So it's it's between the two of you. But where has it gone wrong? Is it Pellegrini? Uh, probably a bit. I mean, it's a collection of everything. I thought when we, when we got to the new year and we were level on points with Chelsea, it had all the makings of a straight shootout. But then we started losing quite a lot and it didn't quite work out but yeah it's lots of things we we didn't buy very well over the summer as everyone knows and people keep banging on about the average age of the squad and all that which i think is overstated by the way i think it's a bit i mean if you take out lampard and Demichelis and richard wright it drops a bit and oh, all that and right. still it's yeah he's got the best job in the world god he really does he's been there what four years uh Two or three, maybe, but yeah, I mean, he's got a perfect job, hasn't he? He just doesn't doesn't get in wow. the squad. Goes and visits, does charity stuff and things like that. Okay, very right. cool. Good on him. But yeah, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit of everything. The players shouldn't escape blame. I mean, some of them have been pretty poor. Let's be honest. But it's it's a pretty big summer ahead, and we'll see. We just haven't been winning any games, which I think is the root cause of why we're not in the title race at the moment. And here he is, Mr. Rob Pollard's jumped in as well. Last minute, so, so, saving us from the break, saving us having to just talk to Alex all evening, mate. And no one, no one wants that. You, <laughs> know, you know him quite well as well, don't you, Rob? So it's, uh, it's not somewhere where someone wants to be. So Alex has just been basically banging the uh, Pellegrini out drum. That's all I'm saying. That's not what I was doing. <laughs> he wasn't doing it. He's actually given us a very reasoned and assured account of your season to date. Um, and I, I was just—I mean, do you do you consider it a failure, mate? That you're finishing fourth? We we're saying how like just bizarre it seems that you know that Spurs are complaining about finishing in a in a Europa League place, let alone you know City complaining about finishing in the top four at all. But context obviously is everything. Um, I'm assuming you're pretty unhappy though as well with how the season's gone for you. Yeah, very unhappy. I mean, I don't think City will finish fourth. I think. Third, possibly second, is on the cards, really. Um, but even so, it's still been disappointing, regardless of whether it's second, third or fourth, because it's been pitiful. You know, the title defence has been pitiful, really. And there's not really been one. Um, City kind of got themselves back into it at the turn of the year and come from sort of eight points, nine, maybe nine points behind. And it looked like there was going to be a real fight between the, between the two, Chelsea and City. But... Um, 
it's just not materialised. And if you look at City's results, they've thrown it away completely. You know, the Burnley took four points off City. Um, Stoke have turned up at the Etihad and won. Um, there's been loads and loads. Lost to Palace away. Um, it's been awful, you know, really, really bad. And I know the manager's copped a lot of the blame. And I think that, I mean, if I had a look at, uh, Richard Jolly did a piece recently where he kind of went back over the last 20 years of any major manager who'd been sacked and looked at their last 15 games. And uh, Pellegrini was on a worse run. No, not obviously the last couple of wins have changed things a little bit, but before those, he was on a worse run than any of them, except for Peter Reid at Leeds in 2000. And I think if anyone remembers Leeds in, in 2000, it was not so much what was going on on the training pitch as it was more at the top of the club. So if you look at it that way, the club have actually been really patient with him. I think if he does last this summer and he leads City into next season, I think he's obvious that the club are really holding holding out for Pep Guardiola. I think that would be really clear because for any there's no other possible reason really that he would be um he would be kept on given the results. Do you not think there's any any chance of Klopp coming in? I'm not sure really. I think I mean I suppose there is when a when a manager like that becomes available in a in a summer where there's not too many options and you have to consider it I suppose but I do get the feeling that the, the people at the club really, really want Guardiola. And <clears throat> and to be fair, they also really respect Pellegrini. Um, I mean, he was he was the choice of Bagiristan and Soriano. So they, their reputation kind of hinges on his uh, performance anyway. So they're not going to want to get rid of him, um, you know, before they sort of have to. And I also think that the, the plan all along, giving Pellegrini the three years, I think the plan was have Pellegrini for the short to medium term and then get Guardiola to be the, the first appointment they make that's long term, you know, this kind of holistic vision of the club that they've got. I think, yeah, I did the old inverted commas with my hands there. but <laughs> You didn't inflect the voice enough there, Rob. No, I didn't. I just think he fits the mould so perfectly that you know, I think they, I think they want the next appointment to be very much long term, um, and uh, Klopp would, you know, if he was to come in this summer, he's going to want a five six year deal, and that's going to scupper any Guardiola deal. So uh, I don't know. It's an interesting one, and um, I don't think anyone knows quite how it's going to play out. To be honest, because the club have been very very coy on this. I mean, they're usually pretty good at sort of you know, giving us the right information on players and stuff like that. But where Pellegrini's been concerned, it's been very, very tight-lipped. And um, the message has consistently been, even after the derby, has consistently been that he's going nowhere and that, that, you know, he will be there. They're going to review it at the end of the season and the chances are he'll be there next season. But you just start to think, I mean, when that run was going on and City had won eight, or sorry, lost eight in 15 and only won four or something along those lines... You're looking at the facts and you're just thinking, well, how can he survive, you know? Mm. It doesn't matter how much they like him. The run was so, so bad. But uh, And that was the thing about Villa at the weekend. I mean, that was a really important result in terms of league position. You know, City leapfrogged a couple of teams and got themselves back in a second or whatever and, and very much in the in command of a top-four spot. But the performance was so anemic again that 
I don't even think that win did Pelle- you know that win didn't do Pellegrini any favors because the people who are running City aren't thick. They can see what's going on, and that's not the kind of performance that's going to kind of fill anybody with confidence, really. What's the kind of mood like uh, amongst the the supporter base in in general around Pellegrini? Is it is there a kind of overall sentiment of hashtag Pellegrini out? Would you say? It's a funny one. I think with him, he, he suffered greatly because initially there was such a um, there was such a love for Mancini by a certain section that they were never going to take to this guy anyway. I mean, I've seen people straight faced say that City won the title and the League Cup in spite of Pellegrini last season. So <laughs> when, you've got, when you've got people, when you've got people who are that far to one side of the debate you've got a problem anyway and then the fact that he's kind of dour and he doesn't really give too much away and he doesn't do too many interviews and stuff like that I don't think that helps either so there's not the love there for him but at the same time I think there's a, a, a respect from the, from the majority but uh, I don't think any, there wouldn't be the outcry anywhere near the outcry there was when Mancini left which, uh, which I think is a real shame because you've got to remember as well it's hard for City fans and it's certainly hard for Pellegrini to complain about finances, you know, especially when we spent £42 million on Mangala in the summer, which is what it's transpired, the whole fee, take agent fees and everything. And he's, he's two part, you know, he was owned by three parties or whatever. Jesus Christ, I didn't know it was that much yeah, at all. When everything, I mean, the club misled us all and said £32 million and a few journalists have got to the bottom of it and it turns out the full price was forty-two. So it is difficult... But at the end of the day, he's the only manager since the takeover in 2008 not to have been given at least one world-class player. I mean, Mancini was given three, um, comfortably three, possibly more, depending on how um, sort of loose your uh, world-class descriptor is. Pellegrini hasn't been given any. And last summer, he worked under financial restrictions, and he also worked under squad number restrictions as well. And I think that should be taken into account perhaps a little more than it is. And it's good to see in the last few weeks that he's actually been fighting his corner a little bit more vehemently because he was just being, it was too passive, you know. He, he was The job was slipping from his fingers and he was sort of not fighting for it to keep hold of it. And it's been great in the last three or four weeks where he's kind of come out and he, he's trying to set the narrative a bit more now. And I think he should have, he's missed a trick not doing that a bit earlier, to be honest. I, um, I, I made a point of this uh recently on Typical City, we, we were in the absurd position where our actual manager had less people in the press wanting him to keep his job than Patrick Vieira, you know, uh, a youth coach who hasn't <laughs> even got his, got his badges yet. You know, Vieira had more. Hasn't stopped Tim Sherwood, mate. Yeah, but it, it, it is Sherwood syndrome. Nothing can stop Sherwood. Yeah. Unfortunately. You watch that chat on this on this show, Tim Play. You're not a I am... Guys, I've got a question about Yaya Torre, if I could. Um, because I, um, I mean, this is an outsider's perspective and it, and, it, and it is formed without the kind of the natural love of a player has achieved a lot, of, a lot for your side. Um, but this is the third year in a row in which Dimitri Selic, as agent, has come out and has quite clearly tried to manufacture a bit of leverage over, um, over the decision-makers at City for whatever reason. It's not just money, and, and I think that's a kind of... It, it, it's a little bit unfair to um, to always paint Tory with that brush, but isn't there an argument now that you you look at it and you think this is an annual occurrence and this is an annual um, injection of instability that we now have to tolerate? And at the same time, you look at the state of that midfield. Who, you know, Fernandinho, fine. Fernando, 
is not really good enough to be playing at a club of City's stature. Torre is um, still relevant and, and, and still important with the ball at his feet, but increasingly a liability without it. Do you not say now, all right, we have to draw a line in the sand and move on from this? Um, I mean, I, 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 I'm hesitant to make that point because I know what Yaya Torre is, and also... I'm appreciative that you know he had issues last summer and dealt with the death of his brother, which is obviously very difficult. But um, would you be adverse to, to seeing him leave and, and seeing you know that midfield basically reconstructed? I think, uh, I think it, it, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, he's impossible to replace. Yeah, there's no other player like him. In the, no, in, in, you'd have to buy two. You'd have to get a blend of two to yeah, to fully yeah. replace him, and and for obvious reasons that you take away something else then because, you know, yeah, yeah. does the job of two players. But and I know Pellegrini adores the way he plays. I mean, he's, he's, he's his biggest fan. So he's not going to want to get rid of him. But the, the, there is the, you put, you put your sort of thinking cap on and he's 32. Next yeah. Week. yeah. You know I mean? He looks an old 32 as well, if I'm honest, especially when he, when I, I, I watched your game in the new camp. Um, and I know, a lot of people have said in the past that he's a defensive liability, which I think is a little erroneous because I'm not sure that's really his de- part of his job description. But against that kind of side, and given the, the, the level of ambition your owner has, it kind of his age is in play now, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, there's a good argument to suggest that this would perhaps, maybe perhaps last summer was the time to get rid of him because he certainly his value. value would have been the highest having scored 24 goals in all competitions, 20 in the league. Yeah. Um, which is a remarkable achievement. He really is. And it, it wasn't just the goals. It was the kind of the way he dominated games and stuff like that. Oh, he uh, was brilliant. There's no, there's no question of that. He was, I, yeah, was he was fantastic. He was fantastic. And you, you look at this season, yeah, there's been a clear regression where he's concerned and perhaps the time is right. And um, I don't know, I would miss him because you talk about the love and again, the City fans, I find them staggering. I'm sure you have your idiots as well, but we it's just staggering. The last few weeks, you've seen people writing blogs about get rid of him and people tweeting him to, to say get, which I always find bizarre. Well, actually tweeting the player. <laughs> actually tweeting the player, yeah. But, but, but the, I mean, the, the thing is as well, he, that man, he's been, he's been like one of the best players in the club's history, that's a fact. But on top of that, the goals he scored. If you go back and it was a semi-final winner against Stoke and a, and a winner in the final of the FA Cup, the first trophy the club had won in 35 years. Yeah. He scores two goals against Newcastle in the penultimate game of the first title win in 44 years. Which he scored was the, at Palace last season as well. He scored at Palace last season in a season where he scored 24 and he scored in the League Cup final last season as well. I mean, I don't know what he's got to do in terms of delivering on the big stage to, to convince... People, that, you know, it, if, if the time is right for him to go, I can accept that argument. But these idiots who are kind of like almost pushing him out the door or whatever. I mean, I don't really. I'm, I'm different. I'm, I'm not as bothered about this crap in you know that he, he sort of spouts in the in the media or whatever. Whether I'm anesthetized to it or 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 I've got more interesting things going on in my life, I don't know. But I'm not as bothered as some of these people are. Um, the um, sorry, Rob, the. I mean, the, the the stuff last summer, all that, that birthday cake rhetoric, I mean, it's kind of harmless in the end because it got resolved. I mean, it, do you think some of it is because this, this, this time around, um, his agent started 
taking shots at Pellegrini. It wasn't really related to his player. I mean, it was a sort of you know, the accusation mid-season that a, that a manager is weak. Yeah. This thing, you know, muzzle your agent. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not always possible, but this is someone that clearly really, really enjoys seeing his name in the paper, wants to be on Sky Sports News as much as possible. He's a sort of, he's an agent version of Christian Perslow, really. Um, uh, <laughs> um, and I, do you think some of the, I mean, it, it doesn't excuse it, and I, I, I cringe whenever I see a fan tweeting a player like that. It's just, it's just a, it's an embarrassing kind of symptom well, of our, our, our lot made. Danny Rose leave Twitter, unbelievably, didn't we? I on think his we, birthday. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, when Spurs. No, it was, it was the birthday it was thing. He new contract. But yeah. yeah, he signed a new contract. And there were just like untold levels of just abuse and just horrendous, so much so that the club actually deleted the tweet. Um, and That's now he's awful. probably our best defender, which is, uh, <laughs> which is telling. So maybe, maybe it inspired him. You never know. But, When's Fernando's birthday? I'm going to try and get him off Twitter. <laughs> Oh, but aren't you going to miss out on his tombolas? Oh, oh his raffle. Jesus, yeah. I am um, raffling yeah, off a match worn shirt. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> See, I think oh. he, I think he's played well in the last couple of games, Fernando. I have to say, the last two wins, he's been one of City's best players, and um, he's had an awful season. Don't get me wrong; I'm not defending that transfer at this stage. It looks awful, but. Uh, the first two and a half games, he got injured against Stoke and went off. I mean, he was man of the match in the first two games. And, he played uh, well in the Charity Shield, actually, I thought. It's the yeah. first time I play, but I, I, thought he was, I thought he was excellent. I mean, I remember thinking, by God, you know, we've, we've, we've got an absolute steal here. Because yeah. he looked like not only was he really good, but also he had the type of game that was going to be able to change the way City played and give City a couple more options just by having him there. It's not really materialised at all. But the last couple of games have worked. But just got, I mean, going back to your Torre point, you said about his defensive duties. Mm. Pellegrini did come in and say that he didn't have them. And last year it was fine. This year, as he struggled, I think they should have been even loosened even more. You know, he should have been given perhaps two midfielders behind him and him occupying that that role furthest forward. And maybe that would have been the the subtle alteration that would have got a few fans off his back and also seen him with less to deal with. Uh, every ninety minutes, but um, it seems like the Fernando transfer was a, was a movement towards that initially. Before it kind of exactly. blew up, it was the kind of that is your destroyer. He's going to play again uh, alongside Fernandinho. Torre is going to be shifted up into that kind of. Remember the way that Mancini used to shift him upfield when you when you when you guys needed a goal, and it would almost Great always tactic, come. Isn't it? Great yeah. tactic that from Mancini. It was so simple. We were, I mean, the best example was that Newcastle game where. Torre scored two in the last 20 minutes. Dion came yeah. on, freed him up. It was fantastic. But that's another thing. The only thing that really annoys me about Fernando is because he's similar in mould to De Jong, the whole bring back De Jong group who just... They're just the most ridiculous set of City fans going. They've really found their voice again. You know, transfer window, they're just the answer to every problem. To oh God. He's going to cure cancer and end the um, Israel-Palestine um, the, the war over there at some stage, you know, because he, according to some City fans, he is the answer to every ill this club has faced since the day he went. And let's not forget, that man played 10 games, started, I think, 10, 10 league games the year um, City won the title. Um, he was already a fading force 
he was not getting in the side and City were doing quite fine without him. And he was on a big, big contract and he was a sub. He had to go. He was... Yeah. And this lot will will put up a vine of him making a tackle somewhere in Italy and kind of extrapolate about, well, if he did that in City, then this would happen. Yeah, exactly. This would happen and then we'd win this game. De Jong's kind of a player. He'd be... De Jong, to me anyway, is, is, is someone that would be a good signing for a club like us. Yeah. Um, he's, a good, just, yeah. he's a good player. I don't I think, think that... If he'd have stayed, really. If, he, if he'd have accepted a new contract on lower terms and accepted a substitute role, which is what he had, I would have rather he stayed. Everyone seems to like him as well. He was very much well-liked by the other players. But the fact of the matter, I think he was on £80,000 a week. Yeah, it was something like that. And he was playing ten. He started ten games in a, in a season where we were we won the league and we were looking to evolve and move on. I mean, it all made sense to me, and I just it baffles me this sort of pining for him. Really, he almost seems to be one of those players that Spurs had in, in Wilson Palacios, and that like when we first kind of signed him, he really went above and beyond, and like yeah. was it was eager to prove that he was a, a worthy signing that he should be playing at that level. And then after he kind of hit that. I mean, it was kind of different with Palacios or a few personal things. And I say a few personal things. His brother got murdered. But, you know, there, there, were, there were personal circumstances that probably had an impact upon his playing on the field. But at the same time, there was still a kind of feeling before that happened that he had just gotten a bit comfortable and kind of took, you know, taken his foot off the gas a bit. Um, he kind of got that vibe from, from De Jong a little bit. At least I did from the outside. Um it, whilst we're talking about like your your central midfield options, we we had a, an interesting question from at Mark underscore Lynch one. Um, it's kind of a two pronged thing, but I'll just focus on one half of his question, which uh, is questioning why you'd be letting James Milner go. I mean, are you guys both quite surprised? Because to me, James Milner is the sort of player I feel that would come into Spurs and probably take Ryan Mason's place and make us look a much, much better side. Um, I mean, will you yeah. be... It, it, it seems for whatever reason he's going to be leaving. Either it's the length of contract or... He doesn't seem to me the type of player that would really be kicking off about how much you pay him. Um, the, the club aren't letting him go. James Milner's chosen to leave. I think okay. there's a, a big difference and Pellegrini wanted him to stay. But Pellegrini messed up last season. He came into the club and... He didn't seem to appreciate him or understand his game or know how good he was, quite frankly, and didn't play enough games and the damage was done then. And the fact that this season he's been much more involved, I think if he'd been as involved uh, last season as he has been this season, then perhaps it would have been all very different. But I think uh, Milner looks at it and at City, he he knows he's he's going to play a lot now that the manager's got his head around the fact that he's a fantastic player. He really is a fantastic player. He's, I mean, he is. He's, there's no holes in, in his game, really. I mean, he doesn't excel at certain areas, but he's solid in most areas, and he's a he's a great player. And City will miss him massively. But um, yeah, I think the damage was done last season, really. And uh, I think Milner looks at it and he knows that City's squad is that good that he will be to, for him to play the number of games he has this season. He's going to be a utility player. And the impression I get is that he's had the word in his ear from a manager of another club, or probably a manager of a few other clubs, saying, if you come here, you'll start in central midfield every week. And then he's probably eyeing up the England spot as well uh, in the midfield. So it's his last big move. He wants to play in his best position. 
and he wants to play every week. And I don't think City can give him any of those things as a, as a cast-iron guarantee, yeah. which is a shame. It's probably Liverpool, right? I, I can't Liverpool, really see. Yeah. 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 I think whatever happens is, uh, I think Rob's right, he'll have had some sort of guarantee. He's not going to be without a club for you know, two months. I think he'll be signing for someone very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's, yeah. he's, he's too good not to. Um, I mean, a lot of, there's always speculation about what's been said behind the scenes, but at the end of the day, if someone wants to go, then I don't see the value in, you know, trying to keep them if they're, they're not happy and think you can do somewhere else. Much as I'll miss him, fair enough. You, um, you guys have got to have, I mean, I, I, obviously, we expect you, you to do quite a lot of business in the summer, but a lot of that's probably going to be British-based. Um, it's going to have to be, yeah. It's going to have to be, exactly. I mean, what, what, I mean it's interesting because we, we, we talk about English players in a sort of, well, if we can afford them way, whereas you, you sort of have the capability, with a few exceptions, to kind of take what you want from the league. Are there any players that you would, um, you know, I mean, we've, we've heard all the names in the press. Sterling, he's, he's yeah. the best player. I think Sterling's got genuine world-class potential. Yeah, me genuine. too. And he, he ticks every box. He, he, he brings City desperately needs some pace. And he's got bags of it. You, he, I mean, oh, he could be what Navas was supposed to be, really. Exactly. I mean, Navas, I mean, oh God, don't get me on Navas. I'll be there. <laughs> it's a bizarre scenario with him as well. I don't understand why he's not appreciated for what he is, which is an excellent squad player. But that's another story. We need someone with pace who is world-class. Navas isn't that fair enough. So Sterling just ticks every box, homegrown, pace, young, just perfect, really. I'd be, I'd be quite interested to know what you lads think about Harry Kane this season, actually, from the outside. Because um, you can obviously separate yourself from the sentiment and the emotion that a lot of Spurs fans have towards him. And how much... Cause, you know, it would be a gamble for someone to to buy him this summer, but Spurs would want quite a lot of money. And how much do you feel that you would, as City, for example, spend on someone like him, knowing that he might just be a one-season wonder? Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, he's obviously had a great year, but I'd be wanting to wait to see if he can do it again or something close to it again anyway. I don't think he's going to do this again next season, is he? Really? Might get close to it. He'll though. do better. <laughs> to, be fair, to, be, to be fair, I think I was expecting it to dry up ages ago, and it just didn't. just didn't dry up. But this is what I mean, though. Like, if teams have had a whole season yeah. to get used to him, it's going to be difficult to keep up the level, but good luck to him, you know? The Chelsea game was when I think I turned. I'd, I'd, exactly, I'd when I, that very, second goal. Yeah. yeah, I'd been very much like, oh, this looks like one of those weird... Um, Meet you. Happy accident type runs of form. You know, like, when's this going to stop? Ha ha. And then when he was scoring goals of that quality, it was like, Jesus Christ, you know. Steps around Matic with that elegance. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, and you've got, to, you've got to take your half to someone who's doing that. And I'd, he doesn't look like a footballer. He doesn't, um, he doesn't, there's no, you know, some play, like we're talking about Sterling, he has one absolute defining skill which is the pace and the ability to beat players or players usually have one sort of thing i don't know what canes is but the whole package just seems to be working and um i i wouldn't buy him don't get me wrong i'm not saying city should go and buy him <laughs> so uh, that is the third member of our, our podcast sending us a vine mid pod of something that was supposed to happen off the air 
Sorry about that, guys. Very smooth, lads. Mate, oh, this, yeah. is, this, is Tottenham, this is Ruffleham Lolspur, Alex. Come on, you know. Have you got that, Jack? That. I've, I've just... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Seen him tweet it out now. Yeah. Oh, is, is he making fun of you or me this time? No, it's both of us. You know. How uh, it is. He's just—he's he's taking us out with the same he's stone. Baiting the old man. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, sorry guys. <laughs> That's alright. Yeah. Steve, so what, just what came saying when he got his award the other night. He said that asked. Uh, he said was what, responsible for his form, whatever. And he just said, "Well, I just started playing really well, didn't I?" Vote, yeah. vote UKIP. <laughs> he didn't say that really. He does look like a UKIP though. Mate, he he like I say, he he voted his favourite moment of the season, his England debut. He scored a winner against Arsenal. You know that's yeah. oh yeah, that's, that's wrong. That's that... UKIP behaviour, mate. <laughs> like bang on, nailed on. Um, There's a picture of him on a Union Jack sofa with a uh, <laughs> bulldog on, like yeah. big Jack Wilshere. Then oh dear, Jack Wilshere with his tweets about the English race, I believe, wasn't it, or something like that. He, I don't know, they dug one out. Um, I'll stop this before we start getting liable. Uh, how, how, just to, to, to summarise, lads, um, well, not even to summarise, to wrap up, uh, how, do you, how do you see yourself approaching the game this weekend? Because um, I'll be honest, I've, I've said this to Alf quite a while, I'm, I'm oddly confident that we're, we're going to beat you, actually. I don't know why. I just... but didn't you say this a couple of years ago when you asked for our predictions and I predicted 4-0 City and just got ridiculed? <laughs> and then we 5-1 or something. This is probably close to the time when we were actually like neck and... Christ, that's, that seems almost like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Seven? We were actually like contemporaries with City. Well, I remember thinking of City as, 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 as this generation's big rival. Oh, I mean, how, how ridiculous. I mean, you know. Before them, it was like Villa. It was like, yeah, it's us and yeah. Villa. Um, Everton were kind of like the ones that we'd both be like, nah. But Spurs and Villa... We're both going for the top four, and then suddenly City came along. We're like, "Yeah, all right, whatever." Yeah, you spent a few quid, but now it's suddenly just like, "Oh." It was like um, it was like watching a really um, a really well-oiled, multi-geared supercar go past us, and we just we had our fun while we could see you in the distance, but we didn't really pay attention just uh, how quickly you were moving. We were almost like we were like a, a souped-up golf GTI, weren't we? <laughs> you know? It was that kind of thing. Like we, we could still hold our own, but you always kind of know when the real test kicks in. Get off! Yeah. Just get out of the way. Like, <laughs> and I don't know anything about cars, and I hope I've made a fairly salient point there. So, the firebox was one of the great 
Um, certainly the first half performance from Aguero before he got injured is one of the great individual performances I've seen at City. He was absolutely superb. That one when he kept stepping sideways and knocking it around Lloyd's. Well, when he just he, when he, he just kept every time he got the ball, I thought he was going to score. It was it was incredible. And City, I mean, we've had we've had some good moments at home to Spurs the last couple of years. I mean, I think Negredo spinning around Dawson is one of my all time favourite goals. Poor I, I like Dawson the as well. Jacko hat trick at White Hart Lane was pretty special as well. Uh, you let Jacko score a hat trick against us. Didn't he score a quadruple against us? A four, yeah. Four, yeah. Four. Yeah. And you're going to buy him 25 million in the summer. Oh, we really are. We're <laughs> so <laughs> going to. We're gonna we're gonna manage to Levy because like don't don't you know underestimate him. He's gonna manage to sell Soldado for about twelve million, right? He'll get about twelve million for him. He'll somehow get like ten million for Capu or someone like that, and then we'll just spunk about twenty five million on Jacko again, and we'll just be he'll he'll probably start off really really fucking good for Spurs, and then after about ten games, yeah, that'll be it. Like can we can we bring that up because I did get. <laughs> hammered a little bit, didn't I, when I told you he was rubbish? Yeah, well, he was really good at that point, Rob, come on. No, I know, but I'd already seen it. I see how he pans <laughs> up. He comes in, does well, and then fades, you know. He, like, he's talented, he's just a twat. I think that's that's the problem, really, think, isn't it? I think that's exactly what I said on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, yeah. When, when he's good, you can... The, the problem with him is when he's good, he's so good that it's a difficult thing because it's completely unrelatable because all of us talking now would, 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 if we were given the opportunity to play for our club, would run from first minute to last and love every single minute of it every week. I'd, I'd try to run from well, first yeah, minute to last we, minute, we, to we, be we, fair. We, like, then my, my knee would play up after about 12 minutes. And Okay, yeah. well, I'll, I'll put it this way. We push ourselves to our physical capabilities, to our physical extent, if we were given the chance. And then to see someone who has that opportunity... And who he's not lazy. He just uh, I, I I can't even explain it. I don't think there just is. Doesn't any. give a shit really. He, when he's, he's bad, he is really oh, really. But, his first touch spans meters around him, and he just can't do anything right. It's really awful to watch. But honestly, in in saying this, like one of the standout games to him that a lot of like whatever Adebayor advocates will pick <clears> out is. Two seasons ago, away at Stamford Bridge, he honestly put in a performance that was up there with, you know, these kind of mercurial kind of like bail performances that we've seen, or like these Berbatov or this or that. Like Adebayor away at Stamford Bridge was absolutely world class. Like he was exceptional, yep. just completely yep. ran the show for us. Looked better than any of Chelsea's players on that day. And you just kind of think, why can't you do that? Like some of the games you used to see him play for Arsenal as well when he was still young and hungry and he looked fucking amazing when he played for them. I'm sorry, we, we've gone over Adebayo so many times and he's just so frustrating though. He is, but only because he's so good. And that's it's heartbreaking actually because I, 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 I know I'll get hammered for saying this, I quite like him as a person. I find him really engaging when, when, when he's interviewed and, and, and I, I have a lot of sympathy for the way he's portrayed in the media and, and some of the things which are said about him, which frankly, I'm, I, I'm, I grew tired of the African football cliches a very long time ago. Yeah. Um, but he's, it's a mental thing. It's, uh, he, he's, he's a generation of player who, who sees it as a profession. Um, 
and that's not an African player thing. That's just a that's a modern thing. And he, um, I don't know. I, I, it's just it's desperately sad actually because he's a player who, um, he's someone that should be collecting Ballon d'Ors actually. Um, uh, we'll always have that next slide against Arsenal, eh, lads? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. I love, I love the reaction. Have to say that your the piece that you wrote on um, African football stereotypes one of the great pieces of of last year. If it was written Thanks, last year, if it was yeah, this year, yeah, it's yeah. one of the great pieces of this year. It was. I mean, it was just spot on, and it I was just, essential reading for everybody. Really. Oh, I was very kind, Rob. I, I, but I, I. It's amazing how many people still adhere to them. I, um, I won't name him because that's uh, not cool. But there, there was an ESPN writer who was writing about Wilfred Bonney um, just just after he made his move to you guys. And um, and I, I, I really like Bonnie. I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, over time he will be, you know, he will become a really, really uh, solid contributor, uh, contributor. But he, um, he, the only way he would describe him was the kind of the physical target man, like nothing beyond, you know, good in the air, solid first touch, back to, back to goal. Kind he of didn't use the word beast, did he? I don't think no. He didn't go that road. But I remember thinking, what is it that you can't see beyond this guy's been in the league for two years now? He scored countless goals where he's relied on his technique and his vision. He's one of the the best playmaking forwards in the league as well. And yet you get this thing that persists. And and I um yeah, oh, Rob, that's very kind. Thank you, mate. Right, even fucking Drogba got it. Like Drogba yeah, was yeah. just like one of the most skilled strikers the Premier oh. League's ever seen. But yeah. Drogba's an absolute genius, you know, but no one had ever really write that, would they? No. He was just yeah. a target man. Just powerful, you know. Yeah, exactly, like, it's powerful. It's just, it's, um, yeah, it's just so boring. And and, and it's uh, it's done an entire, well, many generations of African players a huge disservice. Well, Jack mentioned a second ago the word beast and stuff like that when they get called monsters. It, it makes me quite uncomfortable. Um, it, completely, completely. <laughs> It's not nice to read, you know. Animal, beast, you know, these are terms that you would never, ever use to describe a white player. And, but No, but I love it because the fullback would always be like, oh, no, but uh, City always used to call Negredo a beast. It's like, yeah. yeah that's the one. Yeah, point proof there, lads. Yeah, nice yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Impressive. That was an annoying thing as well, though, because when everyone said beast in the Etihad, it sounded like they were booing. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was like he's just scored an amazing goal, and everyone's like, "Ooh!" <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you have those players that, like, I think we used to do it to Sakura as well because he'd never scored for Spurs. It would always be shoo, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nothing is as bad as Arsenal's Ospina chant, though. Nothing at all. That's like um, that 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 chant is like it sounds as if a group of Tottenham fans have infiltrated the Arsenal end to parry to them with that. <laughs> That's how bad it is. It's just, it's just completely unacceptable. It's like a pantomime. I'm not bitter. No. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> if I can uh, push you lads for a for a, a score prediction on the weekend, Alex, what what do you reckon, mate? Um, oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because City are a bit of a shambles, but on the other hand, Aguero is fit and he's scoring goals again, which doesn't traditionally bode well. Spurs. He scored more against you than anyone else. Um, so I'll, I'll go for I'll go for three or something like that. Oh, <laughs> Blimey. How Blimey. about you, Rob? 
I'm going to go for two on City purely on the basis that I was at the, I was at the Burnley game. I went to Turf Moor when Burnley and Spurs played out one of the worst games I've ever seen. If we can't if we can't beat that one, then I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, and so, I've gone. Uh, do you echo that, definitely. Um, I, I, I just, I think, um, I don't know. Honestly, I, we, we, we go into every game at the moment, and we're a complete unknown because we're, we're sort of. I don't think we can assess what Tottenham are going to do on a kind of pure footballing basis anymore because it's just there's a mental, you know, disintegration as we get closer and closer to the end of May, and and it. I don't know if they're in the mood, then we can make it competitive, and I. I think there'll be some goals, so maybe, maybe I'll go for uh, I'll go for two two. I think I can't, I don't ever remember seeing Aguero play against us and not be absolutely terrified by him. You know, he's he just, he, he nine just, against you. Well, he's matched up so well against our forwards. As a player who, you know, who who moves the ball from side to side very quickly, has a little bit of acceleration and can finish really well. That's the ultimate nightmare for someone like Fazio. I mean, he just he doesn't. <laughs> It's not a great matchup. <laughs> was, it, was it the first time he played against you where, where, where Dawson was just getting into the England team, I think, oh, and Aguero yeah. kind of squared up to him and just sprinted past him and smashed it in the goal? And I think ever since then, Dawson was gradually breaking more and more. I'd love, I'd love to be able to say that that is an isolated <laughs> memory of Mark <laughs> That I'm afraid does not narrow. Big down. lad scored this evening against Lollapool, so you know you lay off, you lay off doors. I love him. I love him really. He's a good man, Michael Dawson, but not blessed with a lot of pace. No, no, but neither am I, and I'm all right, Seb. So you're you know. fine. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. Um, all right then. Well, <laughs> thanks so much, Rob and Alex. Pleasure as always. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Lovely. Thank you, Rob and Alex. That was uh, that was informative. We haven't actually spoken to them yet. This was me trying to do the whole pretending that we'd spoken to them, but we haven't done yet. So we don't actually know what was said, aside for the fact that we spoke about Manchester City against Tottenham Hotspur, which we're definitely going to win. I've got a good feeling about it, lads. I don't know about you, but I, I feel I just think that we're going to beat them. I do. Just quickly, do you think you're going to beat them, Raj? Possibly. It's neither team's really got much to play for apart from pride. And um, City are going to try and obviously finish as high up the table as possible because they've got a few people in uh, around them. Um, Arsenal and and United aren't too far away. Uh, I think Arsenal may even be ahead of them, um, having played less. So it's um it's one that they'll they'll want to finish strongly, especially with with Pellegrini possibly leaving in the summer. Um, with with no idea what's really happening there, there's going to be some sort of uh, as what the, the sun I imagine will call a managerial roundabout um, in the summer. Some somebody will sack somebody, Klopp will go somewhere, <laughs> uh, possibly Real if they don't win the the European Cup. Even if they do, they might go for Klopp and Ancelotti will be pimped around somewhere, Rodgers might end up going it'll be um, it'll be quite an amusing summer um, which conversely could actually play into our hands if we for once have a stable club who's got a manager who's settled for a summer and he's allowed to sort of try and kick on next year it could play into our hands but we'll uh, we'll have to see about that but um, it, possibly, it's as, as I said about previous games now, they all feel a bit like um, pre-season friendlies, it's all a bit of 
you know, who who on the day has has more intent, and uh, neither of these sides appears to be trying too hard. So it's um it's not really one that I'm I'm looking forward to that much. But you know, it could end up like that um that game we had when we beat them three one at home, where you know just the fact that we are at home and the crowd will be up for for beating City. Um, it could could work in our favour. Right. Well, there we go. City. Um, let's talk very, very briefly about Hugo Lloris. Uh, do we just got a feeling? Do you think he's going, Seb? History tells me yes. Um, and actually, if he wants to go, then that's absolutely fine by me because um, we've we've let him down. I mean, he um, he's yeah. a good professional. He's an exceptional goalkeeper and. There have been times over these last few years when I've watched him play and I've just thought, you don't deserve this. Um, you deserve to be... It breaks my heart because he, he, he's the best Tottenham keeper of my lifetime by some distance. Um, but he deserves to play at the very top of the game. He um, never moans. He's never in the press. He's never agitating. I don't even know who his agent is. That's how quiet he is. Um, and he should be playing at a Champions League contending team and we're not and we won't be for ever I guess he seems like a very classy guy doesn't he like very very decent just full of respect for him I, I just think the the combination um, of that amount of ability and I think the, the right word is class um, actually it's so rare in football that you have someone that you know with a different personality if you think about some of the games that Lloris has played and has played well in and that we've ended up losing 4-0 or in that, that sort of that, that Sherwood season um you would have expect you'd have expected to see a little bit more of a, of a kind of visible reaction from some players, you know, kind of you know noticeable physical signs of disaffection. And Loris has never been like that. He's he's just someone that seems committed to the cause and someone who who clearly, as long as he's at Tottenham, will remain mentally a Tottenham player. There's never been an instance where he's kind of checked out and thought, well, bollocks to this, I should be playing for Real Madrid or you know a team of that caliber. Um, the only consoling factor is that uh, we could legitimately command a, a king's ransom for him because he's within the top five goalkeepers in world football currently. Um, he is maybe a year away from his theoretical prime, and you know there's, there's no doubt about what a side would be getting if if they were to buy him. So if he goes, I would love him to stay. It would mean the world if he did. But if, if he doesn't, he goes at my, my my best wishes, of course. What about you, Baines? Do you reckon he's going to go? It's really odd because the everyone's been buying goalkeepers all recently, so everyone's quite well settled. Um, and the the obvious places where he could go doesn't they, they seem to have sounded out other options. As if you know what we're reported as, as having known as them being bid is a lot different to the the informal conversations that happen behind closed doors. The clubs will often ring one another and, and and inquire about a player informally and they will be quoted a price and whether or not they act upon that publicly is is another thing entirely. Um you've got Manchester United De Gea possibly going to, to Real Madrid, um which will mean Casillas will be free to go somewhere. Um and with with Man United you've got to remember they've got Victor Valdez as well there. So that's a, it's a strange situation where he could quite happily and quite capably step into their number one shirt if he needed to. Um, Manchester City, you know, I don't think Joe Hart's going anywhere soon. Um, Liverpool is, is a sideways step. Um, Chelsea are, are well set with, with Thibaut Quartar. 
uh, Courtois even. Um, Real Madrid uh, seem quite set on buying De Gea, um, and they've got Kayla Navas as well. Uh, Atletico, uh, I don't think so. Um, I don't think they've got the money, first of all, but they've they've got Oblak. Um, um, he looks like a really good player, actually. Yeah, Oblak is fantastic. And um, Barcelona have just spent um, money on, on Testegen and they've got a, a transfer embargo. So all, uh, PSG as well, they've been linked to Petr Cech. Um, but he, they would obviously probably be the the most likely, if any, to, to pay that sort of money for him. But I, I seem to remember... and. and Consistently say that Larice was for a while. He's really anti- yeah. He was he was yeah. Um, yeah. he was linked to them quite heavily while he was in France because obviously being the national goalkeeper and whatnot, PSG would have wanted him. But um, he doesn't like the new money clubs in 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 France, from what I'm aware of. And he's um, he's publicly spoken out against them and, and their involvement in the French game. So I, I, it would be very strange to see him go there after what he's said previously so I, I don't really see a, a a destination for him especially especially given the the fee that we are going to ask for him it will be upwards of 30 million pounds I, I won't take less than a penny less than that between 30 to 50 million and that, although that sounds like an absurd amount of money Daniel Levy will probably want that much um and the, and the rest so it's um it's a very interesting one. Um I'm not I'm not entirely convinced by Michelle Vorm, so I'd want a lot of money so that we could go out and, and try and buy somebody who who's able to replace him as well. I think um actually if you if you if you, you could have a, a theoretical situation where he stays one more year to just assess the landscape a little bit, because then you've got all the clubs that we've just mentioned um as potential destinations for him, but then you possibly bring into play somewhere like Juventus, if Gigi Buffon decides to retire, because that that's any season now, really, presumably, because um, that would be a very good club for him. A lot of tradition there. It's not, you know, it's not a PSG type situation. Um, I don't, I don't actually think that De Gea will go to Real Madrid because I don't, um, I don't know, I, I just can't see it being economically viable, and also signing a goalkeeper when, like Raj said, they've already got Kayla Navas there, who is, is an exceptional goalkeeper. Um, and Real Madrid under pa- Navas isn't going to be their number one because he's not a big enough name. Well, that's the thing. Um, I, I just, I, I think that their, their transfer spending will always go on, you know, the shiny new thing in football um, because that's what. And that's the hair. But is it though? I mean, it, it is a goalkeeper flash enough to. Um, I mean, he's an exceptional goalkeeper, of course he is. Because he's, he's he's Spanish. He's he's going to be the next Spanish number one. So they'll that's what they want. They want the the next Casillas, and if they can somehow get Casillas out of the club in a diplomatic way without upsetting the uh, the fans, uh, that'll be what they want. I, I was uh, I was reading something the other day that suggested they may well get him on a, a pre-contract and try and get him in around a year to eighteen months when his contract actually runs out at United, so they don't actually pay for him. They get him on a on a Bosman, but they've they've signed him up beforehand that's that would feel more likely to me i think i, I just i um i don't know i i, I think Casillas. I, I love Casillas, and i don't think he gets nearly enough respect for how long he's been right at the top of the game for this guy played champions league final when i think he was 19 um for real madrid which, which says something about his character and how and his ability um but he he clearly isn't what he was um but could do another year and then you know De Gea's contract becomes a problem for Man United I just think that's that would be a smarter way of doing it for them um, I think at the moment as well like United uh, if you're looking at kind of like the, the bigger issue you're looking at like brand worth and 
that kind of stuff outside of the actual the footballing sense. United aren't going to roll over for Real Madrid no. either. Like Real Madrid, they have to pay a fuck of a lot of money for a goalkeeper in David de Gea because he's he is essentially one of, if not United's best player at the moment, and they're yeah. they're not going to let him go for anything less than. 60, 70 mil, right? I mean, how many years has he got left on his contract still? 18 months, I yeah, think. Ah, so oh, okay, so fair enough. That's They'll probably yeah. get him for 30, 40. Well, United have yeah. just opened negotiations for his new contract and Van Gaal is on record as saying that they've, they've literally thrown money at him. So I think it's one of those we'll know relatively soon whether he's... Cause if he signs that contract, he's not going in the summer. The um, bottom line on, on Lloris, though, is, as Seb said earlier... Nobody of sound mind should really uh, should stand in his way if he was to go or begrudge him a no. move. Um, uh, if because he he has been fantastic since he's been here, he's he's our best player by quite some distance, and um, he's a player who who really should be playing on the biggest possible stages in the biggest possible games because he is that good. And there is that sense that um, perhaps in a similar way to if if Ledley King hadn't been injured. Um, that maybe the club is holding him back from the career that he, he could be having elsewhere, which is, is easier to say when you've bought a player than, than created them. So it would be a it'd be a very nice period for us to have had him uh, at some point, but he, he will probably end up somewhere that is a tiny bit bigger and better because it, the club has been a bit of a shamble since he's joined. He's, he's been through three managers now, and uh, I don't imagine that was that was what he was sold when he first joined the club because no. he was he was very reluctant to leave Leon when he were, when he did, and and he'd been linked to other clubs with Harhand. Um, so for him to to come to Tottenham would have been quite a large commitment for him and his family. So. It's a, it's a strange one. I don't think he'd. He's not. The, the thing about him as well is, he, if even if he doesn't get a move, he's not going to piss a moan about it either. He may say one or two things that his agent will will require him to about wanting to move, just to make sure that the the wheels are greased slightly. But he's not going to be, uh, you know, stop turning up to training type player. He he'll come and do his job if he needs to, and I I hope he does. Um, I've heard a few people say um, that. Sorry, sorry, Jack. I um, I heard a few people say that that um, when Michel Vorm came into the club, it was to be the successor for for Lloris as and when he decided to leave. Anyone thinks that that Michel Vorm is good enough to play as a regular number one at Tottenham needs to look at what he is as a player a little bit more. He, he's not. He's a mid-table player. He is not. This isn't a situation where we could we could take thirty, forty million for Lloris, whatever. And then go well, right? You're number one now. He's not of the caliber. He's a great backup, and he's very capable in Europa League and League Cup games. Absolutely, but you have to go and spend that money on a on a um, an Asmir Begovic or someone of, of, of that nature, because otherwise it's an enormous step back. Losing Loris is devastating, but if you lose Loris and just you know you, you, you fall back on Vaughan, that's uh, that's kind of in clusterfuck territory, really. Who's that? Who do you think's a, a viable kind of candidate? Were we to lose? I don't want to spend too much longer no, on no. this, but uh, are we to Begovic would lose him? I, mean, I think he's excellent. Yeah. yeah, I um, I, I don't want to see Tim Krul anywhere near the club. I think he's a horribly overrated goalkeeper. No. Uh, he makes saves but can't do anything else. Um, and then hard to say within the Premier League. Um. Couple of German guys who are pretty useful. Who'd probably be available. Uh, I can't, I'm not good on my German football, so I'm not going to quote them. But I'd um, 
Uh, Rennie Adler, I think, is quite a good player. Um, yeah, there are options out there. Just can't be Vaughan, though. Okay. Um, let's go over to one of our listener questions now. We've got a, we've got a pretty decent one here from at the Spurs Masochist, um, which is an interesting one. It's at Spurs Masochist. Sorry, dropped the the. Um, he says, question for the pod. What's your thoughts on the late timing of substitutes in recent matches? Frustrating for me. What do you reckon to that, Raj? Substitutes have been something that I've brought up a couple of times with Pochettino. He, he, they, they do come from the left field with him. They are a bit odd. Um, leaving him late is... Given the plays he's starting to play now with Polino and, and Lamella, he's clearly wanting to give them as much time as possible to, to try and show him or the club um, what they're capable of doing before he makes his mind up definitively about who he wants to stay at the club and who he wants to go. So there could be that buying into it, but substitutions throughout the season has been something that has raised an eyebrow. Sometimes they've, they've even worked when you've questioned them and sometimes they haven't. So it's um, it's something that his, his game management is something that he personally needs to probably work on a bit more. There was that stretch of games where we, we did keep on winning games late on and he was making substitutions at the right time and, and judging them a bit, a bit better. So for, for him to not be doing so as much now um, might just point to the fact that there's probably people on his bench that he's he's just got there to make up the numbers rather than wanting to use because it's a similar sort of people who are coming on um, and, and being rotated within the squad and there are certain players and, and, and certain types of players who just aren't um, getting a look in now and pro- probably for the, the, the simple fact that he, he's, he's not got them in his plans for the future, there's no point in using them now um, because he probably thinks they're going to be more of a, a hindrance than a help. Any Anything to add on that one, sir? Um, no, not really. I think Raj nailed it. No, he does. He's, he's good at that, isn't yeah. he? Nailing it. Kills it, yeah. No, that's it, good lad. Um, Elliot Graham, at elliot 4 ill Change your, change your out-handle, Elliot, mate. Right, that's... <laughs> Yeah, from a social media expert, yeah. Okay, mate. Um, Jesus Christ. Question for the pod. If you could remove one game or change a result from this season, which game would it be and why? Um, Well, change a result from this is cup final, obviously. (laughs) Surely. To a win. Yeah. I don't know. Is there anything? Uh, Manchester United away. Any advance on that? No, I, I, actually, I'll stick with that. Man United away. That depressed the hell out of me. I, I just, I, I was, if, if we're taking the cup final off the table, um, I just, I, I, I was so annoyed. I got to a nice place in the season where I was kind of indifferent to how we did and I was just enjoying it and just waiting for the summer and next year. And, and then that, that kind of um, took the jam out of my donut. Aston Villa at home. He's, he's, he's a, he's oh the, yeah! The, uh, Please don't, don't go there. Other than other than the cup final, that's the that's the one that's rankled with me the most, obviously. All right, okay. Jim's asked this a few times, and I called Jim at Stylish Raya. Um, I'm not going to let you do it, Baines, because I know you've got a you've got a dog in this fight. Um, Seb, can you make an impassioned defence of Vlad Kirikesh? Impassioned is the word. Ooh. Here. Um. Uh, it can be insincere. It can't be insincere. No, it can be if you want it to be. Well, I, I, I um, 
my last girlfriend was Romanian, and she was very nice as a person. Um, and so maybe maybe Vlad has some of those qualities <laughs> as a human being. Um, as a footballer, you know, actually, in, in all sincerity, he's a, he's a good footballer. Um, I just think that he um, he suffers from a couple of things. Most obviously, he's, he's been used out of position quite a lot recently. He, he quite clearly is not a right back and should never be asked to play there. Not just in the way that Jan Vertonghen isn't a left back. I mean, Vlad Kirikas cannot play as a fullback. He just he doesn't have any of the, the attributes to occupy that, that role. Um, I think he's good on the ball. I think he, he can be a very good defender. I think if you gave him a regular partner at the heart of defence, he could grow some kind of chemistry with them. Um, I don't, and, and also, he's the kind of guy that um, he's relatively young. Uh, if he develops some form and if he was given... If he, if he were to sell him now, um, no one would be making any kind of profit on him. But you know, he's the kind of guy that a little bit of momentum behind him. He could be worth quite a lot of money in a few years. Um, he, um, yeah... He's a bit frail, but I don't know. Maybe maybe a summer in the weights room, um, a little bit more continuity in the side. Never played it right back. We might have a play. There you go. It's as bad as impassioned as I can get. Okay. Um, let's stop talking about football now. Have you lads caught up with Game of Thrones? Yep. 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 Bangs. No, I've I've got. Uh, I didn't watch any of the ones that had leaked. Um, because I didn't have time, essentially. So, given that we're only a week away from those episodes being caught up on, I've pretty much deleted them. So, I've got the first three to watch. Um, and you absolute helmet, mate. <laughs> Come on. You're supposed to be, supposed to be stop fanning around watching football and watch TV. That's what this pod's about. Um, I'm up to date, and I don't know how to, 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 to watch the leaked episodes. That's, the, that's a disgrace. No, I've been watching loads of films recently. I haven't watched much TV. Zeb's been watching them on a Zoe trope, mate. Come on. <laughs> um, I watched that. Uh, there's that documentary on uh, Scientology myself, going clear. Um, um, that's quite good. Uh, that's worth a watch. Um, but I've just been watching old films recently uh, rather than watching any television, but I'm sure I'll catch up on Game of Thrones. You watched so, Annie Hall the other night with a bottle of wine or something, didn't you? Not, a bottle, of, not, yourself. not a bottle of wine, no. I did, uh, um, There's nothing wrong with a bottle of wine, mind you. No, I, I don't like wine. It tastes like piss. I do like champagne oh, or... or, um, or oh. Huh? oh, I do beg your pardon. I do beg your pardon, Mr. Baines. Exactly me. Champagne socialist. Is that very, your attempt very at my accent, Jack? Is that... Is, is, is that your impression of me? No, well, it was just a, a generic, <laughs> generic. I, I, I was going to say a generic posh person, and then that kind of leaves you open to someone saying, "Well, isn't that Seb?" I don't know. But you're not, you're not generic, Seb. Thanks, I'd like you. But you are a posh person. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, come on, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I just on Saturday night, I, it was right cold in house and everything, so I just, I was quite tired, so. I um I banged on Annie Hall. No, I didn't. I wasn't actually drinking. Actually, I made a cup of tea. I made a cup of tea, put on the heating, got in bed, watched Annie Hall, and then I wasn't tired, so I watched Manhattan as well, um, and then went to bed. Um, so that was a, a quite a pleasant night watching um, some of Woody Allen's finest. Um, but I, I had found myself weirdly. Um, I always used to, because these are films I've seen several times. I always used to prefer Annie Hall, and I found myself preferring Manhattan uh, for the first time, which is a strange place to be. 
because um, I'd not expected that to be the case. But maybe I was just swayed by how um, pretty young Meryl Streep is. You can see where her daughters get it from now because she she's absolutely gorgeous in that film. And I'd never really noticed it previously. Especially in black and white as well. It just uh, that that entire film is is beautifully beautifully shot. So I think that that perhaps is why uh, Manhattan maybe getting the nose on on that. But um, they're both fantastic films. I'm, uh, I'm not a big fan of Woody Allen, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, really? No, I don't know. It's just never really resonated with me. I've often found it. I've often found his style a, a little bit contrived. I've, I kind of feel like everything. It's I, I like it in a way. There's a certain stage kind of vibe to a lot of his work um it feels almost as if you're he he wants you to know that it's not real that it's a slice of film that it is there's a i don't know a a subtle kind of like nuance to the way his actors interact and the characters um lines are delivered that is almost intentionally awkward. Well, there is that. He does know, tear just... down the fourth wall in Annie Hall. He, he does that. Yeah. He talks directly down the lens of the camera and stuff like that, and there are jokes that are played on the back of that. So there is that element to it. But he, he was a stand-up, wasn't he, first? And then he was a, a TV writer, and uh, he's done playwrights, and he's written a couple of books. So there's, there's all that. He's not a traditional film person by any means. But he went through that weird patch where loads of his films were terrible. Um, but he's he's picked up recently. I watched um, I watched Magic in the Moonlight quite recently, the Emma Stone one. And although I, again I'm quite taken with Emma Stone, it was it was better than what a lot of his recent work has been. Um, although I did really enjoy Midnight in Paris as well. The rest of the ones that he's done around Europe, the Barcelona one and stuff, have been a bit rubbish. Um, but the, the Midnight in Paris I've always enjoyed, just because it's really hyper and self-indulgent, and he's, he's just obviously gone, you know what, I, this is one of those scripts that I've always wanted to make, so I am going to. And it, and it actually works really well. It's one of those very few films where Owen Wilson's actually quite likeable, so there's always that. Um, what about, uh, what was I going to say, the boxing? That's what I wanted to talk about, because I, I, I've, I've said that I'm basically, with boxing... I'm the sort of person that likes boxing in the way that people who like football when the World Cup is on. I structured that sentence really poorly, but you know, you know what I'm saying. And uh, there's a massive, massive fight, lads. I'm going to get the beers in and watch the massive fight on Saturday. Hey, eh? um, Floyd Mayweather's going to knock him out, isn't he? Surely. Ooh, no. You know, no. You know what? I, I um. I used to be my, my um the first fight I ever watched was on the same day as um the first Tottenham game I I ever went to at White Hart Lane. Um, was it in the ground as well? No, it was um I went to see uh, Tottenham lose two one to Wimbledon. Um, it was part of like a, a friend's birthday. The three of us went up with with his dad, and um then we came back, and he let us stay up to watch uh, Nigel Benn beat Gerald McClellan, which obviously had a pretty dark ending um and i'm a big boxing fan but I, i'm kind of it's sad because i'm almost ashamed to be because it's become such a ludicrous sport and i i feel i'll watch mayweather pacquiao but i feel cheated by it at the same time I, I kind of think that um we're not really watching that fight we're watching kind of we're watching two fighters have a, a kind of a money grab just before their retirement and five years after they probably should have Got in the ring. That's it, isn't it? It should have been done. It's just you want to see these guys at their prime because I, I know Floyd Mayweather has been sort of talking about, you know, this is the fight of the century. It's just not, and it's not even close to it because 
reputationally, yes, maybe, but just as a spectacle, it's kind of, I don't know. I um, I, I want to, I want to ignore it, and I want to kind of make a statement by going, no, I will not pay for it on pay per view, but I know I will, and um, and it's just, it's sad because instead of being a kind of it should have been, not only should it have been five years ago, but it should have been one of those fights that went into a trilogy um, so that, you know, you had a kind of a conclusive outcome. But now, whatever happens, you'll be left thinking, well, you know, what if Floyd Mayweather was in his early 30s rather than his late 30s? Because I, I think Mayweather will lose. Um, so, yeah, sad. But I'm looking forward to it in a kind of cur- curious way, but still whilst feeling deprived. I went for uh, I went for dinner with my mate Sykes the other night, and uh, we were chatting about this. And uh, he's got this weird crackpot theory that um, <laughs> this is going to end in a draw um, really? because because uh, Mayweather's got one more fight left on his contract, so he thinks this is going to end in a draw, and then they're going to have a, a proper tear up in the the second fight. But um, I quite enjoyed boxing. I, I watch quite a lot of it, and but I don't I don't talk about it too often because as Seb says, it's quite stigmatized, and you know it's not as as as. Uh, as easily accessible as it once was, it's a bit, it's a bit more pantomime, a bit more WWE now, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy watching the Yorkshire fighters, obviously, Kel Brook and, and Josh Warrington. I've seen Josh Warrington fight live in the arena, so you know I, I enjoy seeing the perhaps not the the biggest names, even the lads a bit lower down when they're actually fighting for something. Um, they're always more entertaining. But I, I, I don't agree with Sykes' theory that this is a this is a pre <laughs> destined off <laughs> yeah this is uh, I, I think I personally think that Mayweather's too clever a, a fighter he's he's going to avoid getting in an arm wrestle and he's going to box his way through and, and win quite comfortably on points just because he's got he's got a bit more head than uh, than than Pacquiao does because I've never really been obviously he's, he's achieved a lot but I've never been a huge Pacquiao fan he's always seemed a bit more of a a better version of Ricky Hatton essentially just a bit of a brawler um, there's a bit more to him than that obviously but he's he's not a silky boxer he's not a clever one he's not somebody who will go into a, a fight with a game plan he, that's why he's lost so many fights and he's been knocked out before it's it's because he's he's he's, he's too perhaps, aggressive maybe yeah but, heart um, above head yeah. sometimes which boxing at its very best isn't it's it's quite a it's not that that rocky sense of not guarding your face and coming back to it in the last <laughs> couple of rounds. That's that's the least light boxing you could ever get. It's that it's a very cynical, very protect yourself and uh, and, and point score and, and punch when you can. Because there's there's not you know he's not he's not Mike Tyson in his early days. He's not somebody that will just come in and bluster somebody out within thirty seconds. So I, I think Floyd will quite comfortably uh, dance through this one. To be honest. Nothing else to talk about then, Baines. Nothing at all. No, not really. No. You're usually a a, f- a fountain of gobshite. Yeah, no, no. No. Nothing to discuss, yeah. unfortunately. Trying to trying to deflect that from myself, mate. So don't worry. Oh, go on. Why don't you do your fantasy? Because you know what? I'll tell you what. So I've I've I'll tell the the pair of you this now. Actually, I've been uh, I've been in cahoots secretly with a pal of mine who's actually a rugby league fan. And uh, I've been making a few changes to my team on the sly. So uh, I don't know if you want to load up the rugby, the Super Rugby League, league Baines, and see see how we're all doing. I'm having a look. I think I think Seb's actually got more points than me this oh, week. Oh, hence um, hence not why overall, you're not, but this uh, week. 
Eager to talk about it then. I yeah. fucking did beat him as well. <laughs> Brilliant. No, uh, third bottom still is well, your team, Jack. Um, but this week. Though, yeah, yeah <laughs> this week you, you do have uh, 446 points, um, 1,634 for the month, 3,898 overall. Um, s- s- the week's not over yet, Seb. Um, <laughs> The uh, the um, second place team is is Seb. Um, he got six hundred and fifty two points this week, two thousand four hundred and eighty all month long, and five thousand six hundred and twenty overall. Um, I'm top still, um, six hundred eleven points, so forty or so less, forty one less than Seb has this this week. Um, I think that's because one of, I think one of my players is injured, which is annoying. Um, Jack has definitely has some professional help here. I'm looking at his team now. And then his points, uh, 2,749 for the month and 6,776. So I'm still over 1,000 points ahead in Lee. But Jack's team, let's have a look at the... Ch- He's still got Trout in there. He's in used all Danny of his... Danny as well. Danny Bruff's a good move. Uh, McGilvery, mm. he needs to sort out his full-back. Willy he Tonga needs to sort in. out... Uh, Snade's injured. Uh, Willie Tonga hardly I, I, played. I like Linehan. I think he's a good player. I've got him as well. Yeah, Lineham. He's, he's good. how you pronounce um, it? Oh. Yeah, it's Lineham, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, Danny Tickle probably needs to go out because he's, he's in and out of the squad. But he's, he sorted out his, his front, your front row sorted. Crabtree, Roby and Emma. Well. Yeah. Yeah. McCarthy, Scarsbrook, he's a bit of a... Danny Tickle kick you some goals as well. He's he's in and out of the witness side though, but he's he's got a good few plays in there. I think yeah. next month once it lines over, if um if you make four more subs and you get you, you use them all straight away and you get out you trout and whatnot, trout's and you going to, nowhere. Uh, trout's going nowhere. It's my little <laughs> not to cut. If you manage to overturn it, uh, staying there. If you um maybe maybe you can get him to stay on the bench, but um. Otherwise, I think you... You, Did, you think told me something. You Didn't you say his, the, his teammates call him Ryan Gosling or something? I can't remember. I remember reading up to... Oh, oh yeah. So I read his um, Wikipedia page. I'll pull it up in a second. But Seb's team is... He's uh, got Theophage in there. Theophage, Hambry, Joe Burgess. Did you put Burgess in before he scored a hat-trick? No, yeah. But I, I um, basically, because Chani's injured, I had, to, um, I had to bring in another winger. Um, and I ended up doing two. You've got quite a strong bench as well, which I haven't. I've got like really yeah, cheap players on my bench. Like I um I I brought in Cuthbertson because yards, obviously. Um, and tries, he's been scoring a lot. Of yeah, tries. But I I um I needed to up my amount of yards per, per game because I was your season your season long commitment to Luke Walsh is finally paying off as well. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm loyal. What can I say? Um, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting. I reckon Jack could well catch you up by the end of the season. You are two thousand points ahead of him, though, um, so it's going to be interesting. We'll see. We'll see if he can rein well, you well, in. Uh, I, I, I love that absolute refusal to accept that anyone's going to rein Rajan. I'm going to. Nobody's going to rein me in. Let's not be <laughs> silly here. Yeah, comeback starts here. Right. Well, if uh, if you like rugby league, or you actually like this podcast, indeed. Um, you can listen to previous episodes of Rule the Roost podcast on iTunes or on the Spurs Statman website, which is spursstatman.com, um, run by the boss man JT, JT, Christ, Ooh. JP. Justin Timberlake. I know, or, well, the other unmentionable bastard by that acronym. Um, you can follow him at Spurs Statman on Twitter. You can follow us at 
Roll the Roost. No, it's not at Roll the Roost. It's at <coughs> RTRSSM. I'm even fucking up the outro this week. What's going on? It's like the only decent thing I add to this pod. And I'm not even doing that properly. That's it. Glue Factory. Be gone with you. Be gone with you, trunk. Um, yeah, at RTRSSM. We're going to beat Man City. We're going to finish in the top four. And if we don't, Pochettino out. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>